0: We know him as the rich young ruler. He was almost a disciple, but the cost of discipleship was just too high for him to bear. And he turned his back on Jesus and bowing his head in sorrow, he walked away. We've read this story in Matthew 19 and in Mark 9 and in the text we're going to be looking at tonight in Luke chapter 18 in Luke chapter 18, beginning at verse 18. And in the past, we've asked questions about the rich young ruler, what was his motivation, and why did he ask this question, and various other things. But tonight, I'd like for us to take a look at it and ask some questions about ourselves, and about our own lives and our own service of the Lord. And as we do so, hopefully this will take us from the shallow end of the pool of God's kingdom into the deep end. As we look at ourselves and ask, are we only almost disciples or are we truly devoted to the Lord, His children, disciples of Jesus Christ? Luke chapter 18, beginning at verse 18, reads, A ruler questioned Him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these things I have kept for my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor. And you shall have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became sad, for he was extremely rich." I'd like for us to examine this almost disciple tonight. But before we do, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Glorious Father in heaven, we are thankful that your Son has come into the world who has died for us so that we might live for you. And we pray that you would strengthen us to live for you, that we might honor and glorify and praise your name in all that we do. Help us, Father, not to be half-hearted disciples, but to be all-the-way disciples, that we will dive into the deep end of your spiritual pool, that we'll grow spiritually as your children and our ability to honor and praise and submit to you. We pray for this congregation that everything we do will honor and glorify you, that we'll lift you up, holding up your truth for all the world to see. We pray for everyone who's here tonight that's visiting with us. We pray that if they're traveling, that their travels will be safe and we're thankful, Father, for their spiritual endeavor and their spiritual commitment to worship with us even while they're traveling. If there are folks that are new in the area, we pray that you would strengthen them as they strive to fit into your kingdom in this place and be an active part of your people, and we pray that you would bless them. If there are those here tonight who are not members of your kingdom, we pray that what we do tonight will convict them that you are among us and that they will worship you and become a part of your family. We love you, Father, and we're so thankful that you give us this opportunity to glorify you, and we pray that you would continue to bless us as you have done so greatly. Forgive us, Father, we have sinned too often. We are not perfect. And we have fallen short, but we ask that you would be with us as we enter this new week, that our lives will be wholly devoted to you that we will turn from the tempter, and that we'll follow in your path of righteousness for your name's sake. We love you, Father, and we thank you for loving us. Through your Son we pray. Amen. When we take a look at the rich young ruler here in Luke chapter 18, the very first thing that Jesus did with him was not answer his question. His question was, what have I got to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus kind of bypassed that question and commented on the fact that He called Him good teacher. There in Luke chapter 18 and verse 19, Jesus said, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. In this text, Jesus is not putting doubt upon His deity. He's not doubting His deity, as some would suggest. Rather, He is calling to attention the real issue that this almost disciple needs to face. You see, the problem is that when this almost disciple comes to Jesus, he doesn't see anyone except for a good teacher. Jesus is trying to highlight that there is none good but one, and that's God. And if the rich young ruler is going to call him a good teacher... He needs to realize what that means and where Jesus is from. Jesus wants him to understand that he is not just a good teacher among many good teachers. He is the good teacher. But from beginning to end, in this entire circumstance, the rich young ruler looks at Jesus as merely a good teacher. He does not look at him as God in the flesh who is allowed to command him how to act. Therefore, when Jesus tells him what he needs, he views it as good advice. Perhaps it should be listened to, perhaps not. But instead of falling on his knees and obeying and submitting because these are the words of the very God who came in the flesh, he turns away saddened and doesn't listen. That's the rich young ruler story. But what about us? To us, is Jesus merely good? Or is He truly God? No doubt. If we were in a Bible class and we were discussing this issue doctrinally, we would all argue for the fact that Jesus was more than a man. Jesus was God in the flesh. We would look at John chapter 1 and verse 1. John chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, "...in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God." He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And we travel down to verse 14, and it would say, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And we recognize that Jesus is indeed God. We would turn to passages like Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9 where it says, for in Him the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And we would recognize that Jesus, while on the earth, was more than just a man. He was more than just a good teacher. His words were not just things that were nice pieces of advice and suggestions for wise living, but they were the words of God in the flesh. But the question here is not about what we would say. It's about what we do. The question is not in our Bible classes do we defend that Jesus is God or merely a good teacher. The question is in our lives. Do we live as though Jesus is truly God or merely a good teacher? Luke chapter 6 and verse 46. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 46, Jesus there said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? That is where we really answer this question. It's not whether or not we'll be willing to call Jesus Lord, it's whether or not we do what He says. When Jesus says that we must believe and be baptized in order to be saved, do we do that? Or do we come up with reasons why that's not what we have to do? When Jesus says, Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal, and points out that we can't have two masters, we can't serve both God and man, and do we listen to Him? Or do we still try to hang on to that other Master. When Jesus says, and please remember that it's not just the words in red that are the word of Jesus, but when Jesus says that you must submit to your husband as to the Lord, do you do it or do you find that there are reasons why you don't have to? When Jesus says that you're to love your wives as yourself, sacrificing yourself for them as Jesus loved His church, do you do it or do you find reasons why you don't have to? On and on we could go with all the teachings in the Scripture. The question is, Is Jesus really God in our life? Or is He merely good? Nice advice, things that we can do when we feel like it, when we want to, when we're convinced that it applies. Or are His words the very Word of God that command our lives and govern how we live from day to day? See, the rich young ruler was almost a disciple because to him, Jesus was merely good. To us... He must be truly God. There's a second issue that we deal with here as we look at the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler wanted to know, what have I got to do to inherit eternal life? In verse 20, Jesus mentions five of the Ten Commandments found in Exodus chapter 20. The five he mentioned are all a part of the group that deal with our relationship with one another. He says, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. The text here. He says, all these things I have kept from my youth up. All these things I have done from my youth up. What about the ones Jesus didn't mention? You think the rich young ruler was thinking to himself, boy, I sure am glad he didn't mention the one about graven images. Of course not. The rich young ruler believed that he had kept all the Ten Commandments. The rich young ruler believed that he was a servant of God and had done exactly what God wanted him to do. He didn't view Jesus as offering an exhaustive list of the only commands he had to follow. He recognized it as a representative list. And he said, I've done that. I've kept those from my youth up. What else do I need to do? But there was a problem. Jesus pointed out that in reality, He had not kept all the commands. Sometimes we look at this rich young ruler and we'll say things like, oh, he followed the law of God. He kept the commands. But he had this problem with money. In reality... The rich young ruler may have thought he kept all the Ten Commandments, but he didn't. Look in Exodus chapter 20. In Exodus chapter 20 and verse 3, the text there says, You shall have no other gods before me. What had happened with the rich young ruler? He didn't just have a problem with money and material things. The rich young ruler had a God that came ahead of Jehovah. He had a God that would come between him and the very God in the flesh who was speaking to him. And therefore, he wouldn't listen. Well, remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. The rich young ruler demonstrated that you can't have both. You can't serve both God and material goods. You can't serve both Jesus and wealth. Eventually they're going to come in contrast and contest with one another, and one of them has to win out. And that is exactly what happened here. That's the rich young ruler story. He had another God. But what about me? What about you? Who is our God? That's the question the story draws to our mind. Who is my God? Is it Jehovah? Or is there something else that comes between me and what He has demonstrated in His Word? Is there something else that comes between me and the God who created me? Again in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 29, In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 29, the scripture there reads, If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Verse 30 goes on to say, If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. What's the point? do not allow the hyperbole of this passage, the figurative language used here, to make you believe that it doesn't mean anything. Jesus is teaching in general in this passage what we see specifically applied in Luke chapter 18. If something comes between us and God, We have to get rid of it. If there is something that is taking precedence in our lives over what God's Word says, we must cut it off and throw it from us, no matter how important it may seem. Is materialism coming between us and God? Then we need to get rid of our materialism, sometimes the extent of even getting rid of the material things, lust and sexual immorality coming between us and God, then we need to purify our hearts and our mind, cleanse our hands and cut ourselves off from that. Do we have friends and family that are striving to lead us astray? Do we have coworkers, bosses, employees that would lead us after other walks of life? If that's the case, then we need to increase our strength, harden our resolve, and become the one that influences and not the one who is influenced. And yes, at times, that's going to mean that we might even have to cut off some relationships. But the question is, who is our God? Is it Jehovah? Jehovah? Or something else getting in the way. The rich young ruler thought his God was Jehovah, but in reality, on this day when he came into contact with Jesus, what we find out is that his God was his possessions. What about us? There's a third question that we need to consider What do I value? There's no doubt as we take a look at this rich young ruler, it appears that he values eternal life. It appears that what is important to him is spending eternity with God. It appears that that's driving him. He comes to Jesus and kneels before him and says, What am I got to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, Well, you know the commands. Don't commit murder, don't commit adultery, do all these things. He says, I have done that. And he's not willing to just stop there. He says, What else? What else have I got to do? It's so important to me. Whatever you say, I'm going to do it. And at this point, we might stop and think, this is a man who values eternal life. He'll keep those commands. And if there's anything else, he wants to know what it is, and he's going to do that as well. But then Jesus said, well, there's one thing you lack. Sell all that you have. Give it to the poor. And come follow me. And at that moment, we find out that the rich young ruler does not truly value eternal life. And perhaps I shouldn't say it that way. Perhaps I should say, yes, he did value eternal life. But there was something he valued more. There was something that was worth more. You see, in the rich young ruler's life, There were just some things He wasn't willing to do, even to gain eternal life. The cost was too high. He valued His material possessions. He was extremely rich, or had many possessions, some translations say. And He valued those so highly But as far as he was concerned, giving those up in order to gain eternal life was just not a fair trade. What we learn is that for the rich young ruler, eternal life was an aspirational value. It was a wish, but it wasn't a driving core value. He would like to go to heaven. He would like to have eternal life. But not if it costs too much. He's willing to do some things to gain eternal life, but He's not willing to do everything to gain eternal life. He would be happy if He could continue to pursue His own course and at the same time get to go to heaven. But if going to heaven is going to mean veering too far off of His course and what is important to Him and what He values, He's not willing to do that. And so it causes us to ask the question, this is the rich young ruler's story, but what about me? What about you? What do we value? What is important to us? Is it a fair trade to get eternal life? Jesus asked the question, what will you give in exchange for your soul? Are there things that we value so much that even if God asked us to get rid of them, we wouldn't? Now, this is a tough question to answer. I know it's a tough question to answer because typically if we have a problem like this, if we have something that we value above eternal life, then we can very easily take a look at our lives and then take a look at Scripture and act as though, as we read Scripture, that it's not asking us to give up anything we can very easily look at Scripture and act as though it's not challenging us at all. We can so easily blind ourselves. And so answering this question takes extreme honesty as we challenge our lives to truly be a disciple. But as we strive to answer this question, we have to understand that once again we don't answer this question with our words we answer this question with our lives. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8. Paul said, More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Paul said, I'm willing to give everything up. Was he? When we read the greater context of this verse, we find out that indeed He was. But not because of what He said, but because of what He did. We can back up to verse 3. He says, We are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more... "...circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ." and may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead." Paul valued eternal life above all else. He valued knowing Jesus above all else. And he was willing to give up his entire life. Everything that had been important to him, everything that was pushing him along socially in his culture, everything, he gave it up. Because he valued eternal life more than his standing with the Jews. He valued eternal life more than the social standing of a Pharisee. He valued eternal life more than His reputation among His brethren. He valued eternal life more than everything. What about us? It's a tough question to answer. What do we value? What do we value the most? Be honest. And allow me to give you a test. A test that you can look at. Two places that you can look and see what you value the most. Your day planner and your checkbook register. Because I guarantee you, where we spend our time and where we spend our money is what we value. How do we spend our time? Do we spend our time in Bible study and prayer and talking to folks about the Gospel and spending time with Christians and being with our family and help raising them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? What about our money? Is our money spent in ways that glorifies God? Because where we spend our time and where we spend our money is going to show us what we value. As we take a look at the rich young ruler, he was almost a disciple, and he's almost there, but not. But the real issue is not about that rich young ruler, that almost disciple. The real issue is about us. Is Jesus merely good, or is he truly God in our lives? Who is the God of our life? And what do we value? What is driving us to act? These are the questions that we have to ask every day. These are the questions that push us from the shallow end of God's pool of spirituality to the deep end. As we swim out by faith, holding on to His hands valuing Him and His will and allowing Him to be God in our lives. Where are you? Will you pull out your songbook, please? Number 266 in the Hymns for Worship books. Number 266, have you counted the cost? Has Jesus been merely good in your life or has He been truly God? Jesus said, He that believes and is baptized will be saved sadly, there are a whole lot of people that take a look at that verse and instead of looking at what Jesus said, they base their salvation on what Jesus did not say. But Luke 6.46 says, when Jesus is our Lord, we do what He says. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? Are you willing to turn from your sins and allow Jesus to be your God, valuing the knowledge of Him and valuing His will above all other things, then why not submit to Him right now? Allowing your sins to be washed away, He said, He that believes and is baptized, be immersed in water, raised to walk in newness of life. If we can help you make Jesus your God today, won't you come right now as we stand and sing, Have You Counted the Cost?